Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, a podcast from the Business Centre where we talk about all things small business. My name is Steve Waite, the Business Centre CEO and a Business Connect advisor. This episode is our second on unpacking the current challenges of staff returning to work and employers' legal rights and responsibilities during the COVID-19 disruption. Our guest today is Michelle Dawson, Principal Lawyer at DWF, who was with us on our very first webcast on industrial relations and workplace law right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in March. Michelle joins us now again to update us and help us understand what this evolving workplace and employment situation means for small business owners who employ staff. So acknowledging employees are your most important asset, I think, as we all understand. So this uh, particular conversation, we're going to look at unpacking that a little more and looking at those rights, the sorts of things, although we won't hone in on everything you know, to a microscopic degree, but some of the things we're going to concentrate on are returning to the workplace, pay and leave during the coronavirus, stand down during the coronavirus, alternative working arrangements, ending employment and redundancy, health and safety a little, and temporary changes in workplace laws during the virus. But time for Michelle, and we'd very much like to thank you again for coming along. Putting together, we were talking before this, putting together what it was like in March and you know the unknown elements, and now there are some knowns, but there still are some unknowns. And we want to start to look towards that now. And one of the things, Michelle, that we've spoken about that seems to be coming up, and we'd just like to get a sense of that from your perspective, is this staff returning to the workplace. What, what are some of the... And there's a date coming up that we know around that in regard to work and, and work patterns. But what, what are you picking up uh, as, as key themes there? Yeah, sure. Um, look, essentially, um, every business is, is, is going to contend with and have different uh, considerations to be had around how they're going to return to work and what that's going to look like for them. Um, obviously, the social distancing um, requirements that um, are still in existence um, are impacting um, the decision-making around a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you have um, a lot of people in different industries where they might have um, offices or an office area as a part of their overall operation. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, we're also seeing it in, in restaurants and cafes. It's affecting you know the numbers of people who can who can be under under the roof. Quite apart from yeah. um, the uh, the maximum capacity levels that are, are otherwise mandated. So. Um, a lot of it is depending upon how people's workplaces can in fact function in light of the mm. social distancing obligations and requirements and complying with all of the directives mm. um, in that regard. So everyone's kind of having a different story to tell and having different experiences around mm. that at mm. the moment. Um, what we're seeing is a real um, an approach whereby people who are okay perhaps working from home in businesses where that's Mm-hmm. available um, are continuing to work from home. People who may not be working from home as well as they could be, whether that's from a productivity standpoint or mm-hmm. a, a mental health and wellbeing standpoint, perhaps, yeah. um, or a, um, you know, it's too much of a juggle having children and I really need to be in the office so yeah. that I can do these things standpoint. Yeah. Um, there's really becoming a bit of a mixed approach to to what some of the workplaces that we've been working with are actually are actually doing. So, mm-hmm. what we have is on one level, 
a restoration to some form of normal for yeah. some components of, of workforces, yeah. um, as well as a continuation of the um, very quickly implemented working from home arrangements for mm. many. Um, and, you know, you really have a bit of a hybrid scenario going on at the moment for, for different people. Can I, can I jump in there? Because we spoke about maybe towards the end of our conversation today, we might look at that impending 28th of September date and, and, and how that plays itself back through to now. But one date that you alerted me to was some of the temporary provisions that were made in regard to the Fair Work Act about bandwidth mm. and, ha and, and you know, the hours that people can work. Yeah. Can, can we talk about that a little bit and what that means and what people have to do? Yeah, sure. So, look, essentially the last time we spoke yep. back in, in March, there had been, at that point, it was very early in the piece, there'd been quite limited um, legislative um, or regulatory mm. um, parameters put into place. Mm. We were working with a situation where we essentially had... Um, a previously largely underutilised set of stand-down provisions under the Fair Work Act, yep. um, and that was about all that was available yep. and open to people at, yep. at that point in time. Yep. Um, and that carried with it, uh, along with some of the um, jurisprudence, so the case law um, around that, um, carried with it some quite strict parameters on, you know, can, do we need to stand down the entirety of our workforce? Mm -hmm. Can we just stand down proportions of our yep. workforce? How can we quite contend with this? Yep. And of course, since that time, and, and as time progressed, yep. um, there was um, the introduction, of course, of, of some uh, some changes. Mm. Um, some of those changes um, uh, were input into some of the modern awards yes. um, that our viewers will all be um, working with on in, in different respects um, yeah. and in different degrees across their businesses. Um, and, and we also saw with the introduction, of course, of the JobKeeper regime, yes. we also saw some um, temporary amendments made to the Fair Work Act um, around uh, pandemic leave, um, the ability, for instance, okay. to or a more um, easy ability, essentially, for employers to um, have employees, um, direct employees to take leave um, and perhaps to be taking, um, you know, leave with different types of arrangements to those that might otherwise have been accessible previously. And then um, the hours as well, wasn't there like the bandwidth? Yeah, yeah. So, so there was the ability to reduce people's hours, essentially, mm -hmm. um, and those types of things. Whereas prior to the introduction of those provisions, we'd been significantly reliant upon um, the ability only to um, vary someone's hours by mutual consent yes. um, through almost a common law type approach rather mm -hmm. than a legislative type approach. Mm -hmm. So those sorts of changes have made things easier for employers um, mm -hmm. to essentially best place them to continue to, um, you know, operate at least to some extent. But some of those changes yeah. are about to, are about to, to say, yeah. fall, fall away. So um, 30 June, they... So, yeah, so originally a number of those changes introduced specifically to um, awards in particular were only introduced um, for a temporary period and some mm. of those are due to fall away on the 30th of June. Um, there has been a little bit of noise this week um, coming out of the Fair Work Commission suggesting mm. that some of those provisions might be extended um, given where we find ourselves so in the phase of the pandemic. Just, just on that topic, because we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. So if as a result of this pandemic, um, we've negotiated as an employer with our staff, we have some alternative or you know some flexibilities that we put in place and we find that as a result of this disruption, they're working quite well um, and we'd like to continue them. But 
what you're, you're, you're inferring there is that it's possible that those arrangements would fall out of what would normally be legal uh, or, or, or within the award, uh, how mm. it's expressed. So we would have to do something about that to continue to enjoy the mm. success of that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so yes, um, there, there may be some extensions to some of those award-related provisions, but um, irrespective of whether or not there are extensions, they are going to remain, at least to the extent of um, anyone's knowledge right now, temporary. What that gives employers and employees an opportunity to do, particularly in the example that you give about mm. people who might be working very well yep. from home, um, yeah. you know, no impact on productivity, yep. in some respects um, increased productivity, um, opportunities to revisit the way they've engaged their staff and indeed mm. with their staff yep. um, in the past. Um, and you know, some there are provisions in, in, in modern awards that are there that can help to facilitate some of these arrangements on a more permanent basis. Mm -hmm. um, things like um, uh, individual flexibility arrangements yes. um, under, under a modern award. Um, mm -hmm. Modern awards generally will prescribe uh, particular parts of the award which mm -hmm. can essentially be varied by appropriate agreement with mm -hmm. employees provided that it, those changes still meet the better off overall test yep. um, so that they don't fundamentally operate to the detriment of, of mm -hmm. an employee. Mm -hmm. um, they are things that are in awards and they are permanently there but mm -hmm. um, in, in my experience um, are often quite underutilised, particularly mm. in the small to medium business sector, um, mm. because they're not, they're actually not that difficult to implement, no. um, but they do carry with them a degree of, of complexity. I mean, as soon as you say to yeah. a, a small business operator in particular, yeah. all right, well, we just need to make sure that this passes the boot, yeah. the better off overall test, yeah. um, people go yeah. into freeze zone because that's yeah. not a straightforward concept. Um, so, so, so at a practical level then for, mm. for an employer, a small business, they, they need to probably get some advice at the front of that process because it may be giving them success. Success, They don't want it to go astray or become a risk. Uh, so they, they need to follow a due process which is worth the investment of time. So probably setting it out in some written form, mm. get that p potentially checked by, by uh, a, a person um, who has a sense of, of the legalities of that, mm. what can and can't be done and then it's set in place. Is yeah. That, is that... yeah, look, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, regularly, as you and I were discussing earlier, there's, mm. a, there's a real reluctance on the part of people sometimes if they look at something in an award, say, mm. and, and it appears quite complex, mm. difficult, um, um, or potentially it looks at first blush like you'll get a fair bit of employee opposition. There's an automatic resistance um, to actually trying to, to utilise what it provides. Yeah. Um, something that, that, that we find is, you know, employers are often grappling with finding solutions for issues that they have and they're they're doing that on their own mm. often trying to make the most of their own understanding of, of, of the award mm. um, that they're working with yeah. um, we find um, that with our clients when they're talking to us when they're having those problems engaging us at the point in time that they're looking for solutions yes. um, you know problem. getting in front yeah, yeah, yeah getting in front of the issue mm. investing the time and, and and often our clients are surprised at you know how quickly we mm. can help with these things and therefore yep. you know the cost implications is not as great as they think it might be. Yeah. Um, if we can engage with, with our clients around creating solutions and getting mm. in front of these issues, mm. the amount of time that they save in yeah. either 
having a crack at some other way of doing it and yeah. falling foul of some provision that they would never have understood to have existed. Yeah. There's not usually any well, deliberate intentions here. Because yeah. we were talking earlier as well about having a crack at it because there are things that have come out of this that are beneficial about the way people are working. Mm. But mm. we do have um, a process we have to follow. Mm. Um, but you can capture a, a local or a, an enterprise specific solution mm. as long as you get the way that you set it out checked yeah. to, to move yep. ahead. Yeah, and as long as you engage with people who maybe worked with the awards with a little bit more mm. regularity or for a yep. few more clients um, and across yep. you know other types of, of businesses yep. um, so that you can understand what opportunities are actually already there and yep. exist for you within the awards. Um, you know, we and, and even um, you know all of the various industrial associations who mm. are another great source of, um, yep. of, of knowledge and, yep. and, and assistance to business owners um, mm. in, in these times but in any times, mm. um, you know, reaching out to someone who might be able to add some value into the building of the solutions rather mm. than looking at lawyers as a back-end yeah. uh, solver of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what you will spend getting it right at the front yeah. will often be much, much less than what you will ultimately spend if you do get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and as I say, it usually employers don't generally go out of their way to deliberately do the wrong no. thing. It's usually a case of just not having understood that there might have been a better way or yeah. a more risk-averse way yeah. um, to do things. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the other piece to all of this too mm. that I, I see um, sometimes um, employers miss mm. is, you know, if you have an issue and you're thinking to yourself, for instance, you know what, this person works really well from home and it's yeah. actually working well for us for that person to be working from home two days a week mm -hmm. and coming into the office two days a week and mm -hmm. we actually probably don't even really need them on that fifth day. Mm -hmm. How do we contend with that? Yes. The piece that they often miss mm -hmm. is sitting down and having a conversation with the employee because they may well be on the exact same page, yes. especially after what's transpired in yes. what has been yes. an unprecedented and quite stressful time yeah. for, for people. And it's yeah. enabled people time to reflect and perhaps yeah. reset, reprioritise. Having that yeah. conversation and actually understanding yeah. what they want, yeah. you might find there's some real alignment with what you want. Yeah. And in fact, you don't even perhaps need to look to some of the broader based solutions if, mm. if, if you're both on the same page. And then, and then set it out and yeah, get it checked. Yeah, document it. Yeah. Um, yeah, get some help to make sure it's not falling foul of one of the award mm. provisions that apply, mm. making sure that it's not going to otherwise undermine any perhaps mm. provision of the national employment standards mm. um, or any of your um, existing or residual contractual provisions, mm. making sure that the existing contract and the variations to that are mm. interacting in the way that they should to give you as mm. a business the best form of legal protection. Yeah. All of that stuff is invaluable. Yeah, and as you were saying earlier, it could be at quite a low cost uh, instead of engaging someone at the other end when something might get messy or complicated. Yeah. It, it, you could invest a very low amount of money as a small business in getting some clear, sound advice and, and getting something checked. It, it'd be a very low um, mm. Burden, cost burden, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. Look, often, often we can we can fix these issues in in an hour or two or less. Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it, it's important to think about that, particularly where mm. people are reluctant to spend money at the moment, completely mm. and utterly mm. understandably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a bit like an insurance policy. Mm. If you have a business problem or question, get in touch with us. We can get our team of advisors and experts to help you with your business problems in an upcoming show. Okay, from Bell. 
The majority of our team believes they have been more productive working remotely. They are not keen to return to the workplace. How do I address this legally? Can they say staying uh, remotely, uh, is, you know, bringing them into work would be against their wishes? Can they say, I'm not coming back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you can only answer generally. It's yeah. just a, a yeah. conversation, but what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, sure. Look, ultimately, um, management prerogative is still a really important thing. Mm -hmm. um, businesses are still going to be in control of what, works for them mm -hmm. on an operational level yeah. and there are very few um, regulators um, or indeed the Fair Work Commission mm -hmm. are generally inherently reluctant to interfere with management prerogative around some of these things. Yeah. The, the, the things to watch out for in that type of scenario are the reasons that people perhaps might want to stay working okay. from home. So if you have a situation perhaps where someone has carer responsibilities in some way, shape or form, yeah. and they want to continue to work from home to help to facilitate those carer obligations, mm -hmm. um, you need to be careful as an employer not to decline mm -hmm. their requests to continue to work from home in mm -hmm. some way mm -hmm. um, so that you are um, ensuring you're making appropriately reasonable adjustments from yeah. the point of view of the anti-discrimination so no, no legislation. It's, you can't do that. You can, no. you, you, we know that we've got a provision and we have a conversation. Yep. It, yeah. A lot of these things need to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. At the end of the day, employers are still going to be entitled to reasonably direct their employees to do things the way yep. that they want them done, as long okay. as it's reasonable and yeah. as long as it's lawful. Okay. We've got another good one here, which is something we've hit on. Uh, Mel asks, our team is considering moving to a four-day work week. What other pitfalls to look out for? Have you heard of or experience any issues of teams moving to this structure? Yeah, so um, a four day work week and introducing a whole new method of work essentially um, is largely going to be something that um, you know, if you can get your employees mm. to agree, if they're on side, mm. if that's something that, that they are content with, because it will ultimately, inevitably, yeah. at least in most cases, result in a reduction in overall hours for that employee. Mm. Employers can't, as a general proposition, mm. unilaterally, mm. as in on one side, force Bang. their employees yeah. To, yeah. to make those changes. Obviously, no. there would be important financial and other pragmatic considerations for employees around that that yep. need to be um, considered as well. But generally speaking, where you have alignment with your employees, that, mm. that, is, that that's going to be okay to do. Mm. It's a relatively easy proposition to roll out. Where it becomes more difficult mm. is um, trying to, or finding yourself in a position where you need to force that situation. Mm. And that, that's the point in time at which advice should yeah. be sought because it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. No, it's quite a structural decision with some complication. It yeah. is, and, and there's inherently variables um, yeah. in, in every situation yeah. to be contended with. And that's yeah. not just variables from business to business, it's variables from each employee within each business as well. Mm. Here's an interesting question. Um, I'm going to go to that one there on the visas. Yeah, Jane asks, some of my staff are on work visas. What should I advise them if I have to stand them down? Yeah, okay. Um, there are really strict rules around um, giving advice in relation to um, mm -hmm. visas and migration law. I'm not a migration no. agent, so unfortunately no. I can't answer yeah. that question because yeah. I would be um, doing the wrong thing if, if I did. Yeah. Um, but um, certainly um, if, uh, if 
the uh, asker of the question wanted yeah. to reach out After to us this. separately, I can Certainly. I can make some connections. There's another interesting one here, which I know is, is of interest to a lot of employers as people are seeking different ways of working at a point like this. But this question is from Sandra. I want my team members to stay with me as contractors, not employees, through these hard times. What are the main considerations I need to, to take into account? Yeah, sure. So. There are some um, some real inhibitors to to that type of, of situation coming about. The, the most significant inhibitor to that factor are the sham contracting provisions contained within yes. the Fair Work Act. So yep. it's actually unlawful to um, terminate someone's employment mm -hmm. to re-engage them as a contractor. In black um, and white, that's what it says. That in Is black and white, gray? that's what it says. Um, <laughs> Look, you often you often find um, people looking to the grey for solutions. Unfortunately, mm. those grey solutions mm. aren't always ideal and, mm. and are usually not ironclad ways of ensuring that you're staying out of regulatory strife. Yeah. Um, so my recommendation would be, and, and it does vary sometimes mm. from a case-by-case -case point of view mm. too, in terms of, you know, what what the structure actually is and, and what, you, what you're looking at so from let, an employee standpoint. Let me put an a hypothetical uh, only, but what if an employee said, look, as a result of this, I found, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a different view of the way I, my working week and my personal life operates. Um, I'd like to uh, no longer be an employee. Uh, I've been here for 15 years. I, I, I believe I'd be able to, um, to, to receive some redundancy. Um, I'm putting myself forward for something like that. Um, but I would like to stay in touch with the business. I'm doing some other work. Can I, can I become a contractor? Yeah, so often often that scenario does come about the, the arrangement for an employee to become a contractor is at the initiative of, of the employee. Mm. That That's cleaner territory in mm. so far as from a legal point of view, but it's still not perfect. Mm. Um, and, you know, in that situation in which you describe, um, you know, that, that would certainly be a much cleaner situation than the approach being from the employer to yeah. the employee. Yeah. Um, but it, it's still it's still not a perfect situation. And it's certainly something that um, specific advice should mm be taken around. Yeah. The other thing about engaging as contractors is for businesses, mm -hmm. um, there are some real risks that exist mm -hmm. in contracting arrangements coming yeah. about. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those risks are overlooked, particularly I find in, in, in small business circles mm -hmm. um, where um, there is a, a an un, uh, there are a lot of myths in this territory. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are of the belief that um, mm -hmm. If someone has an ABN, then yeah. they can be a, a contractor and yeah. that essentially absolves mm. any issues. Mm. Um, pardon me, that is, that is a myth. Mm. Um, mm. That's not right. People, even when they become contractors mm -hmm. for other intents and purposes, yes. they will still be considered to be employees for the purposes of some legislation. Right. So in particular for superannuation yes. purposes, there yes. is in the superannuation legislation what we call an extended definition of the right. term employee, and right. that will capture many individual mm. contractors. Mm. And so what we see there is a risk creeping in whereby employers think, okay, we don't have to remit for superannuation to that person anymore, mm. when in fact that's not right. right. Um, and the only real way, mm. um, and it's not, it, it's not uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but mm. the only instance in which the superannuation um, liability mm -hmm. can actually 
um, be shifted to yeah. that contractor yeah. um, is where there is an intervening proprietary limited entity right. um, or perhaps a, a trust or some other legal so entity. Your response to that question tells me that the asker of that question really is in territory where they need to get professional advice. Um, my brain was starting to hurt with all of the parts of consideration. I have that effect, yeah. Coming into play there. So it's clearly an area which 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 people probably need to get some professional advice on. We've got one more question and then I'd like to move towards our September 28 conversation. This is an interesting one because we're talking about innovation. Um, so this is a question I guess around that. Are, are um, IR lawyers uh, across industry, not specifically for your um, em employer um, or the, the firm that you're working with, um, are they offering fixed term solutions or fees as a way of taking away the fear of, uh, for the cost of advice? Is that type of model starting to come into play in the industry? Yeah, sure. So um, law firms historically have been creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. um, very conservative work on a, you know, we charge in six minute increments mm -hmm. and that's the way we do things. And yeah. if you don't like it, move along. Yeah. These days, um, law firms are largely becoming more responsive to what it is that clients want and mm. what clients need. Um, in our firm at DWF, we do offer fixed fee solutions yep. um, for our clients around different things. People want that. Mm. Uh, they want the certainty. They want to know what it's going to cost. Mm. Um, and they want to, you know, avoid any fee shock, which mm. unfortunately lawyers mm. have a really bad rap for <laughs> instilling in people. So um, the answer is broadly yes. If you have a conversation with the law firm that you work with, generally yeah. speaking, a lot of them these days will offer that yeah. as a, as a and, solution. And now may well be, as we get close to this last question, a, mm. a time where you, you may, it may be better to engage someone for a period of time because you're going to be going through some important decision making in some areas that you'll need advice um, around what you're doing in your business, the risk, the, you know, the labour costs, etc. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscentre.com.au. We've got one last question we'll include now. It's a really interesting one. Dave asks, there's been a lot of news around uh, retail workers being assaulted by customers when enforcing social distancing rules. Should I consider developing a plan that will protect my business in, in this scenario? Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously that constitutes some um, occupational health and safety issues. Yes. Um, and so as employers, um, all employers should be taking um, reasonable measures to ensure the health mm. and safety of persons um, mm. in their workplaces. So the answer is um, yes, you, you should have a response plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, but but don't be reliant solely and wholly on that response plan. Mm. If one of your staff members is in danger, you need to take to what steps are yeah. available to you to respond. And mm. my um, recommendation in that instance would be to um, mm. to involve the police mm. Um, mm. At, at the immediate level. Yes. Um, but certainly, um, you know, not just having a plan, but mm. conveying that plan to, to the staff and ensuring mm. that people understand it rather than it just becoming a plan that sits in a drawer yeah. or gathers dust on a shelf. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's a really important It's thing. a real risk. You should address it, you should communicate it and you should document it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's move towards that date of the 28th September because when we had a, a conversation before today, that really uh, alerted me to the fact that a lot of small businesses, particularly those with over 15 employees, are really going to have to start to think about what is the impact upon them should they be faced with structural change to their business, for example, uh, changing the types of work roles in the business, changing the type of work that people are expected to do, the hours, the, the conditions of their work, or indeed finding out that as a result of the impact of the virus over the time, 
with JobKeeper falling away and debt coming into the business, um, that they may have to stand people down or make people redundant. So mm. can you step us through yeah. that? Because you said, you, you know, it's, it's a key date for your firm, mm. that 28th of September. What, what types of things do we need to be aware of? Yeah, so, so we know at, at this point, subject to any extensions yes. that the government might introduce, yes. the JobKeeper regime will finish on the 28th of September. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a key and critical date. At the moment, a lot of businesses are, are, are getting along okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's been a really good thing. Yeah. Um, the, the problem, of course, is that it's, it's short-lived and we've got a period of time now whereby we you know, should start working towards what things might look like for us as a business yeah. um, coming towards the 28th of February. I think yeah. it's inevitable that um, the number of employees that many employers are carrying at mm. the moment is going to have to reduce from a point in time mm. after the 28th of September when employers yeah. need to be ultimately generating sufficient revenue to be able yeah to yes. meet their payroll obligations. Yes. So inevitably that's going to result in um, probably significant um, redundancies mm. um, and, and significant, uh, more significant unemployment um, mm. across the nation. Yeah. The, the critical things at the moment for, for employers are starting to turn their minds to what what they want their business to look like or what they think their business is going to be able to carry once JobKeeper comes to an end. Yes. Uh, because even if it's extended for some time, um, which out, may or may not occur, mm. It, mm. It, it's going to be a problem that businesses are going to face mm. in the short to medium term future. Mm. So essentially, um, you know, sitting down and working out what what is a business you need, mm -hmm. what as a business you can do without, mm -hmm. where you might be able to trim some of your um, outlays mm -hmm. um, it is a really important thing. And it, I mean, in many respects, it, this scenario would have facilitated, um, whilst it's bought some horrible things, mm -hmm. um, to look at it from a half glass, full, uh, glass half full point of view, mm -hmm. it, it's really created opportunities for employers who are, you know, wanting to capitalise mm -hmm. on them. And it may mean that you know, many businesses may not come back quite the way they were after mm. the 28th of September, but may come back leaner and meaner mm. um, and, you know, and, and more readily able to, to tackle the business challenges that they have. Mm. Inevitably, the result of that is usually redundancies. Mm -hmm. um, the critical things around redundancies that employers need to be really mindful of is if that's where you land in your overall planning and, and, and you know, yep. revisited model, yep. um, you need to um, be across what you're outlay is going to be mm -hmm. um, because redundancy, um, where you are a, a business with fewer than 15 mm -hmm. employees, yes. um, uh, subject to what award you might be operating under because some of the awards have different provisions, but um, often you won't have an obligation to pay redundancy pay mm -hmm. where you are a, mm -hmm. a business with, with fewer than, than 15 employees. Yes. Um, that um, is helpful to some employers, but it's not helpful to the ones that have got 15 or more mm. um, employees. Mm. And those guys are going to have to um, put their hands in their pockets to meet the redundancy pay yep. obligations that they have. That's yep. a statutory requirement. Yep. There will be many businesses who will not be in a position to meet those mm -hmm. obligations. Yes. Um, 
There are um, abilities in certain circumstances where there is a genuine inability to pay to make mm -hmm. application yes. to the Fair Work Commission yes. to dispense with the obligation to pay redundancy pay. Yeah. Um, they're not straightforward applications no. and they're not granted um, at the drop of a hat. There no. needs to be some really um, careful and, and appropriately factual consideration around whether that's okay. Um, and many employers um, have been known to proceed under the basis that, well, we can't pay it um, so we're not going to. Mm. Or um, perhaps, well, you know, we've offered that person another job, mm, mm, yeah, they're not going to take it, it so yeah. therefore we don't have an obligation to pay mm. them their redundancy pay. That's actually not right unless mm. the Fair Work Commission says you don't have to pay, okay. you have to pay. Okay. Um, so um, that's, that is a, is a big consideration for people to be mindful of. The other pieces of the redundancy puzzle that are often I was about to overlooked. say, you can't stick your head in the sand here. If no. you're working your way back from that point, if you've done your budget, you've looked at your balance sheet, you've looked at where you might fall in June 2021, you're, that's probably going to trigger a series of actions and decisions. Mm. And if you are looking at redundancy, then there are, there are particular periods of time of notice and, and processes we need to follow. Is that? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. So when you're making um, employees redundant, you still need to observe their, um, their uh, notice of termination mm -hmm. and the appropriate periods to be afforded to them there. Mm -hmm. That's um, often derived from the National Employment Standards, that sliding mm -hmm. scale that exists yeah. there in the Act. Um, but it, to the extent that you may have written employment contracts with your employees, often that notice period prescribes a larger or a longer period of time than mm. what the NES does. So um, what okay. you need to afford to your employees is the greater of those two rather yeah. than the one that perhaps suits you best. Yes. Um, and mm. that's an area where um, mm. some particularly small business employers can mm. often trip up. Mm. Um, you don't have to um, give notice. You can pay in lieu of notice um, yes. if it suits your business requirements better to do that. And yeah. often it, it does for various reasons. But yeah. um, if that's what you're going to do, you have to factor in that payment in mm. lieu of, of notice where essentially you're not getting any value for that money mm -hmm. into your um, thinking. Mm. Um, the other really important piece is in these times, in this scenario, it, it's going to be relatively compelling that the job is no longer required to be done by anyone, mm, given yes. the operational requirements different of the business. Times, different, yeah. yeah, so mm. often that's a real question in redundancy mm. cases. Mm. At the moment, it's, it's probably less of a question, mm. but that is not the silver bullet to no. avoiding and getting out of any redundancy claims. Doing it properly, yeah. You need to, yeah, yeah. don't fall into the trap of overlooking the consultation obligations that mm. exist I in awards. You do, for it to be a, a genuine redundancy that gets you out of mm. a, an unfair dismissal you claim. You need genuine consultation. You need to have had meaningful consultation mm. with, with the employees mm. to be affected. Mm -hmm. And the consultation is, is um, essentially two-pronged. It's not just having a meaningful verbal conversation that can't just be tokenistic. It has to give the employee an opportunity to actually influence any any outcome. Mm. Um, it's not just having that verbal exchange. Mm. It actually also involves, in, in most instances under most awards, mm. a, a written component. And that written component mm. is 
um, is so regularly overlooked mm. in these matters, even by um, larger employers with mm. sophisticated human resources mm. arms. It, it, it's regularly overlooked and it's mm. inherently problematic. So would you title that consultation or is it a letter? What, what? Often it's it's just a, a almost like a memorandum type document that mm -hmm. sort of says, you know... Marks and point and it, in time. Yeah, it, and the, the awards are quite prescriptive around what sorts of things it, 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 it should say. Um, and so it's ensuring that you're looking to the award, you're looking at what you need to do and you need to say and ensuring that you're doing it and where you're not quite sure that you are essentially you know, mm. giving yourself the best legal or yep. putting yourself in the best legal position, yep. reaching out and asking. Yep. Um, again, doing it at that front end yeah. may well rescue you from the prospect of a claim at the other side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not, not overlooking that mm. as, as, a, mm. as an important um, consideration. I think it's really insightful what you said about, um, you know, it, the, 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 this isn't a time to, to, to clear away acting appropriately and there is no silver bullet. Uh, and I think also many employers and small businesses who may have to shed staff would hopefully re-engage them at some point in time. So there's nothing to stop people either being kind and generous in regards to what exits they provide and perhaps even extending beyond what they need to provide. And I know some corporates overseas have done that. Uh, for example, Airbnb, I know, gave much more than they were legally required to do in terms of leave and outsourcing um, and support beyond that. So, Let's talk all things small business. For some practical advice and direction, DM us on Facebook or Instagram at The Business Centre. Mary asks, I'm pregnant and I'm very concerned about coming back to work. Can my empl employer force me? <laughs> um, essentially, it... If you are very, very concerned, um, and that is giving rise to, um, you know, issues for you that are potentially going to bring the employer itself into a position of risk, mm -hmm. it's unlikely that a an employer would mm. force Mary mm. to. Um, this is a situation where if Mary makes that approach to her employer, her employer absolutely should take advice because mm. there's a whole lot of other questions that, that arise mm. from that. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. perhaps is, is Mary experiencing a higher risk pregnancy? Yes. What is the medical evidence around pregnant people being perhaps in a more um, vulnerable yeah. position th yes. than others? Yes. Um, and the same types of considerations apply to employees mm -hmm who are over 70 perhaps and yeah. those types of things. So um, I think case. the short answer is yeah. maybe, but it's yeah. case by case. Yeah. I've got a quick question here, which I know you'll be able to answer quickly. Jeb asks, what is the NES? The yeah. NES is uh, the National Employment Standards. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a part of the Fair Work Act. It mm -hmm. prescribes 10... Um, Boot test, I base yeah. yeah, 10, mm -hmm. ten base, uh, mm -hmm. base standard uh, terms of employment that apply mm -hmm. to every employee. OK, another good question here. Ben, Benny asks, I have a retail store. If a staff member turns up and work and appears to have a cold or flu, can I send them home? I think my customers will shy away from buying something from someone who seems sick. Most of my staff are casuals. Yeah. You should send them home. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, even better than that, you should get on the front foot and be telling your staff that if they do have cold and flu symptoms, mm -hmm. that they are not to come to work and yeah. that um, you know they, they should be letting you know. Yeah. Um, so that it, it's really important 
um, that you're protecting the rest of your staff as mm -hmm. well as, you know, you, you certainly don't want to be that guy who yeah. gives, you know, 17 customers yeah. um, coronavirus. So, yeah. um, you know, there are some safety considerations around that. Mm -hmm. um, there will also be other considerations around, you know, perhaps when Benny sends that person home, mm -hmm. um, does he have to pay them and those sorts of things. So, yes. um, again, that's a situation mm -hmm. where the short answer is, is yes. And in fact, it's quite possibly socially irresponsible not mm -hmm. to send that person home. But there yeah. are other questions and, and, and legal issues to be considered in that for advice. Sarah asks, I'm a very senior professional and I understand that people will be let go after JobKeeper periods ends. I fear that I'll be targeted rather than a junior to reduce their wage bills. Do I have an op any options? It yeah. comes back to that redundancy piece, doesn't it? Yeah, well, look, it, it does come back to redundancy. I mean, perhaps one of the fortunate things for Sarah in her mm. situation is, mm. as a very senior professional, she's ob probably quite highly paid, mm. um, which means if the employer is doing what we suggested earlier and sitting down and mapping mm. out what their, um, you know, what mm. the redundancy cost is going to be, mm. and that is a mm. straight up yes. cost, a, cost, an immediate cost, yeah. and it, it, it's unlikely to be a, a low one, mm. um, subject to perhaps that business having fewer than 15 employees, of course. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, Sarah may be rescued by the fact that she's just too expensive to make redundant, mm. but that will, of course, be counterweighed by the fact that she's perhaps too expensive to keep. Mm. Um, certainly, um, many different types of employees are going to be targets for redundancy. Mm. The options, um, you know, if, if perhaps sitting down with your employer and saying, listen, I recognise I'm a high wage cost, mm. um, you know, I don't want to lose my job. Can we talk about me perhaps only working three days exactly. a week? I was going to say, there's no rules to say you can't negotiate right. and get ahead of this. And it doesn't right. have to become a conflictual legal uh, dilemma. That's right. That's yeah. right. So often these things can be resolved and even the, the worries and concerns allayed by mm. actually having a conversation. Mm. Mm. Okay. We're towards the end of our time and I really do want to thank you. And um, we've had a conversation about you coming back later as we get closer to that 28th of September period and, and perhaps, you know, some of the issues that, that we can uh, redress then uh, again. So uh, I'd like to thank uh, Michelle uh, from DWF uh, for being with us again today uh, from the Business Centre. I'd also like to let people know that you can find out more about the New South Wales Government's Small Business Business Connect program. You can Google it and you can find an advisor near you under the New South Wales Government's Business Connect program. Remember also you can register for the Business Connect program and get a qualified advisor at any, any time. That's all for now. We thank you very much and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please review and rate us through iTunes and follow and share on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at the Business Centre.